Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, a conversation about the significance of place, eliminating economic isolation, and the structure of belonging. My name is Joey Taylor, and I'm the producer of the podcast. For this week's episode, we partner with April Donor and the Abundant Community to speak with Yuki Jackson. Yuki Jackson is a Black and Japanese poet, text-based artist, and educator. She focuses on empowerment and enlightenment, specifically seeking to share her perspective and experiences as the Divine Feminine. Her work as an arts educator includes being the founder of The Battleground, a youth program serving a historically marginalized community in Tampa, Florida. Throughout this episode, you'll hear Yuki's poetry, and now we'll begin with a poem entitled Power. Power, Descendants, Black Birds from the film about a flying elephant. Our ancestors aren't here anymore, but they are mammoths, driven to extinction by early humans. Take up weapons, see something of value, so hunt. The making of tools is the mark of high intelligence. Carving wood and stone and metal until sharp enough to pierce. Useful enough to further the species. Tools made by blackbirds. We stand above the trunks growing from roots, our home on top of branches. Power lines even. The winged ones observe the predators. A new breed wearing army fashion. Check mark the Nike symbol. Slay written on a red sweatshirt. We now place our luggage side by side, a new breed of hunter. Arrows pierce the hearts of lovers, the winged assailants. The bow and arrow, the bow where birds watch. Winged ones give up their lives to be consumed, become a part of human flesh. Human flesh now one with what they consume. They crack a wishbone, hoping. Thanks so much for sharing that. As we begin this conversation, are there ancestors or elders or mentors you want to make sure are present for this conversation with us? The first person that comes to my mind is actually somebody who I'm not blood related to, but is somebody who I consider a mentor. His name is Daisaku Ikeda. He's Japanese, living in Japan. A lot of his work for, you know, peace movement to empower ordinary people and lift our voices for ourselves. He's also a prolific writer and poet. And so a lot of the themes of interconnectedness of his work and his purpose really resonate with me. And it's something that is pretty much the foundation of every interaction I have. And he's definitely in my heart. And what's interesting is that for me, I think it's so significant that I know at least on my father's side, he's Black American. And so there's some of our lineage that has been documented and recorded through the names. But then there's also some names that we don't know, you know, in the far past. I I think a lot about the unnamed ancestors, of course, for my own in terms of blood lineage, but also in terms of all of people, indigenous people or, you know, marginalized people or, you know, just like anybody who's descendant of people who made such a contribution to this world who didn't get credit for it and named for it is 
it's really the unnamed who are most in my heart too. So yeah, they're here with me. So Yuki, can I give you a little context for this conversation? Um, uh, April and I were were meeting and trying to decide who we should talk to as a part of this podcast. And the first person she said was you. Because <laughs> she said she has such a powerful voice. And I'm really grateful that that we're getting to talk to you and I've, I've been able to spend some time in, with your work. But I want to give April a chance to talk about why she said that about you. What is it about Yuki April that we so desperately needed to hear her voice? Man. <laughs> well, so Yuki and I go way back. And, you know, she mentioned her mentor as an ancestor to bring into the room, who's also my mentor, Daisaku Ikeda. We met through our Buddhist practice, and she was actually my young women's leader. So within our organization, it's called Soka Gakkai very youth forward. <laughs> so young people are really encouraged and invited and supported to like take the lead as much as possible. And it's structured really as an organization of care. So I had the fortune of having Yuki as my young women's leader. And then I was also a leader as well. So we we together were taking care of other young women and supporting them in their practice. And she was taking care of me. We formed an incredible friendship in a lot of cases, you have these relationships that are kind of within the organization. A lot of them just sort of fade away when you move. But Yuki's always been this person who I feel like I wanted to remain connected to. I think we always vibed in terms of how we saw our role in the world. I began learning about your work with the Battleground um, out of the library in St. Pete. And I think we ended up just having some really cool conversations. And I've been following you with great interest in that realm as well of like the work that I'm passionate about and community and that abundant community is also about is, you know, how do we really like activate that potential and that power inside of people and then through that inside of a community, you know, knowing the power of your voice, both through the way that you have spoken to me as a friend and kind of like called out my power in so many moments where I was not feeling it and I had forgotten about it. And then, you know, seeing, of course, how your poetry and how that's just growing and growing and then seeing how you're also applying it in the world and now just doing the work to weave artists of all kinds together in Florida, which is so in need of <laughs> some bottom-up power activation. You're such a hub of strength and audaciousness <laughs> that centers around also the voice and like unlocking other people's voice. Thank you. Hmm. <laughs> well, I love you. <laughs> I love you too. I'm so grateful. It's very like everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> you know, shout out to Michelle Yeoh, right? What's funny is I always thought like I was bad with time, you know, because I've always like seen things like nonlinear. You know what I mean? To me, I'm always like in past, present and future. It's always felt like mm -hmm. eternity in a single moment of life, basically, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And with relationships and people and connections and where we're at and memories, like to me, it's always been like integrated. And I felt that. So that's how I feel about my friendship with you too. Is Yeah, it's kind of like not bound by location or time mm -hmm. or space. Or, yeah, it's just kind of like, okay, this is something we're going to keep doing as long as it takes, which mm -hmm. may be a while. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm grateful. So this poem, Rocket Ships, is about uh, my work with the kids. It's a battleground. This was first when I was working at the library before I began the program. So this poem kind of helped birth the program. So Rocket Ships. I make toilet paper roll rocket ships with the kids. We use orange and red tissue for flame expulsion 
paper to wrap the body, and Crayola to stain markings. We place star stickers all over. I tell them when it's time to put the pieces together, come see me at the desk so they can use the stapler. I write on the example, USA, followed by my name. One boy with doe eyes and matted dreads writes on his, I love you, mama. They tie strings to fly them like kites. I tell them these aren't meant for that. Ignoring my warning, they drag them across the ground and run and run. So the Battleground is a youth program that I founded in a neighborhood called Sulphur Springs in Tampa, Florida. It's a historically marginalized community. I first began working in the neighborhood when I was going to grad school for poetry And I was working part-time at the public library in the neighborhood, and I just started noticing a need for the youth in the neighborhood to have a way to empower themselves. And then I would be driving to work, and I would notice them rapping on street corners. And then what I also noticed is that they loved fighting. (laughs) So even of friends, they would fight each other to really help each other become stronger, basically, you know, to be able to get by in, you know, a rough situation. One day in April of 2017, I was working at the library and in one week we had three gun shootings that I was present at, uh, one which I was outside for when I was collecting books from the book drop. So what happened was all three of the shootings were committed by boys all under the age of 14 and so were the targets. One of the boys of which I knew who was a shooter. Thankfully, nobody was killed in the ones that at least, you know, I was present at. But so what happened out of that was that it sparked the idea to do an after school program called the Battleground, incorporate hip hop, poetry, martial arts to address the mind, body and spirit, constructive expression outlet for the youth. So it started from there and, you know, just really kind of quickly gained a lot of community support. We've been going since then. And so, you know, we started doing weekly sessions where I do like a poetry session based on hip hop lyricism. And then we would have a meditation, you know, little session too. And then I had a Wing Chun Kung Fu martial artist instructor. He would come in and teach Kung Fu <laughs> to the kids. So I joke and I say I was like subconsciously trying to construct the new Wu-Tang Clan, <laughs> you know, inadvertently. Is, it seems like that's how I was operating. But <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's sort of the birth of it. Can you share a bit about like some of the fruit of that project and creating that space for them and working with them? So we began officially programming in September of 2018. What's interesting is so for the first few months, I had one poetry student who would come. But my intuition said, no, just like this is a test for you to keep going and not like easily give up on this, you know. And so I was like, okay, let me like push through, keep going every week, you know, with this one young man who was like this one lion. We had more kids coming out for the martial arts initially. A few months into it, I started hosting a monthly poetry pizza parties. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. uh, that started drawing in them more, you know, and then they they developed a positive association more, you know, with poetry and, you know, saw that it's fun activities then the next time then it was like 30 kids at the poetry pizza party you know came and then every week with then we started having more and more to then where from september 2018 then like a year and a couple months later february 2020 we had 197 youth 
that had attended total, um, you know, not every time, but, you know, mm. as a total result, you know, we're not like funded by anything big or you know, there's like literally like me and the martial artists, like just showing up every week to the library, like a bag of popcorn, some water, and occasionally some pizza, you know, <laughs> and some notebooks and pencils. And we collaborated with and partnered with a coalition of neighborhood service providers there. You know, most of them are nonprofits that are nationally based that just happen to have a branch in the neighborhood. But yeah, we collaborate with them to host what we call the Sulphur Springs Lit Block Party, which is a neighborhood block party to promote literacy and the arts. For that event, we had almost 500 people come out for something like that, which was like unheard of, you know, it doesn't really like happen in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, there was no fights. There was no, you know what I mean? It was just like this super peaceful, amazing event where we had vendors, tables of, you know, all arts, literacy-based activities, performers, rappers performing and whatnot, spoken word, food. And so that was really successful too. Now we're currently planning for the second one, even all the community partnerships I see as a, a type of accomplishment. But most of all, seeing in the youth, like what they're gaining in terms of, you know, my goal is never like, <clears throat> to like, churn out professional poets or, you know, anything like that. It's just like really a vehicle for like, whatever it is they want to use it for. But seeing in them being able to apply the like critical thinking skills, raising their sense of self-worth and self-awareness and even, but most of all, like for seeing how they like pay attention to the world, (laughs) you know, and question things and put things together and, you know, connect the dots, which Mm -hmm. I think is the ultimate benefit of doing poetry and engaging with it for anybody is the ability to start to connect the dots Mm -hmm. in any situation. So for me, that's the biggest like benefit, you know, for me doing it is seeing how it can empower them. I love the idea of poetry as a lens to see the world. The part that I love so much about this poem that you just read is that it's so concrete. There's so much that I can visualize and see and touch. The part that really got me, which is probably not a surprise, is this one boy with doe eyes and matted dreads writes on his, I love you, mama. Are you thinking of a particular boy when you write that yeah. line? Yeah. Um, what does that do for you now as you read that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it impacted me, you know, that's why it, it inspired me to write it just because it just felt like, you know, it's it, in one way, it's such an ordinary moment, right? It's just, you know, we're at the library, it's, just, you know, we have toilet paper rolls, you know, we don't have much, right? But I feel like it's such a commentary on taking things that even are garbage, <laughs> Right, like things that people have discarded, taking it out of the trash and creating value, creating art from it. And the fact that it's not even just like any kind of art, we're making like rocket ships, you know, like something to really transcend what we think is even humanly possible. He chose to write that on it. You know, it surprised me too, out of everything, like kind of what he would want to put in a vehicle that would enable him to transcend all odds was at the end of the day, like, it's just a, a feeling, his love for his mother. There's just something about that that was so profound to me. <laughs> that, And then I think for me, too, that the part where they're running <laughs> and they really, you know, believe that they're going to fly it. That's the part that really got me and was like, OK, I was like, this is a poem, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and I love how I feel like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes with education, it's like it has a double edge sometimes where 
of course, you know, as an educator, I know, you know, education is so important, you know, it's vital. But sometimes I maybe it's in the way that we can educate sometimes, for example, with poetry, it's like, this is what poetry is, it has to rhyme, it has to be like this, it has to have these standards, like it, it can become this very like rigid, oppressive <laughs> form of like, control for people and to limit our possibilities. And sometimes I think, as with anything, you know, poetry has that potential to do that sometimes too, to be oppressive in how it's taught. And so what I really enjoy the part of it is that poetic element that it's in the concrete specificity of the everyday mundane life. It's not something fancy <laughs> or elitist or removed for the common person and what we literally go through at every given moment. If life is all connecting the dots and if every moment and every interaction is like a series of almost like pixels <laughs> that's constructing a larger picture. And so it's just a matter of like, all the dots are here. Like, you know, we are the dots. So it's just a matter of like, can you see it? Can you see? Can you see what we're in? You know, mm -hmm. um, and if from that perspective, then I feel like then every everything is a poem, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't have all the rigid kind of um, assigned standards of whoever you know decides what poetry is. Mm -hmm. We talked about belonging early on, and that's a theme in I think all of our work. And then also power. When you were talking about the boy who wrote his love for his mom on as that thing that would allow him to transcend everything, right? I often think about and have experienced personally the power that we gain when we have belonging. Actually, recently, I went to this poetry open mic. Like, I don't usually go to those of my own accord. A friend of mine was having a birthday, and she did this whole series of different activities throughout the month for her birthday. And one was she's like, I'm going to go read a poem at this open mic. So come join me if you want. And I was like, okay, I'll go. And it was this new space I'd never been to. I was so struck by, cause, cause I'm obsessed, right? Like, how do we build structures of belonging? How do we create cultures of greater belonging? Because through that, we can really solve each other's problems and empower each other to solve our own problems. And I was so struck by the power of just people getting up and sharing all range of skill of their poetry, right? It didn't really matter, but how it broke through this barrier that we all had as strangers. And in that moment, I like I felt like I I belonged and I could just go up and talk to all of these people and thank this guy for the poem about, about his father that I identified with. And this woman who talked about her love for her husband that just touched me. And I ended up getting in like up and sharing this poem that I, I hadn't planned to, you know, but I was like, all right, it was like about a breakup and a possum getting run over in a car by a car, like in one poem. But I'm curious, like what you're learning maybe or your thoughts are like these days around the intersection of power and belonging and, and just like the work that you've done to cultivate these spaces of belonging. I truly believe power itself is bond. <laughs> it's the source of all power. I mean, even thinking about birth itself, <laughs> you know, and life, how we originate, all of us originate in the womb, born of a bond, <laughs> you know, between individuals, you know, people who are separate, <laughs> who come together to have us. And then even in the time of what's sustaining us in order to be able to come into this world, the umbilical cord, you know, so that bond literally bonded to our mother and then obviously being then dependent on our mom, you know, you know, and then so forth and so on. Right. And then we grow and 
as we're living and increasingly seeing that web. And I even think about that chain of interconnectedness, or even like when you're like at the grocery store in the produce section and picking out your fruits and vegetables and, you know, taking that moment to acknowledge or recognize how, where that comes from and all the hands and actions and everything of different people that you don't even know that had to take place for you to have that orange in your hand, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's the definition of power itself is bond <laughs> and relationships and mm. and I think any other definition is false the sower imagine the seeds are spread by the wind so they can grow and each wind begins in your chest and all these seeds you've planted through your breath are now emerging from the earth as evidence that there is a time to reap what you've sown. Like all the needlework embroidery that we've pierced into the fabric of our world, you can only make out in cursive what you've written in thread, found while searching for the fiber you envision. Bold enough to be seen, yet fine enough to slip in. With each swift motion, focused fingers work together on a single point. The goal is to show an installation known as the doorway effect, giving homage to how quickly we forget the purpose we came with. Gathered at each stitch, all thanks to the eye through which we entered so that we can see the bigger picture, The image of us entering the door that this embroidery will adorn, saying, through me, you enter yourself. Our shared understanding, the fruit of our labor, like the life that can only be born from us coming together. So the thread that for me that's emerged in this conversation from the beginning is we're talking about childbirth and motherhood. How are you a stance for the divine feminine in the community that you're a part of creating? I actually had just started working at that public library a couple months after I began my MFA program for poetry. And so, and that's where I had began to talk about the whole like divine feminine thing. So it just became this like simultaneous act through empowering others (laughs) is also then how I began to empower myself, you know, and then the more I empowered myself to share my voice, the more I wanted to also empower youth or other people to dig into themselves and share their stories and their voice and you know basically all of the kind of unexpressed stories that exist that deserve the light of day i love that what you were just saying about circle right of empowering others empowers you and i feel like that is a uniquely mother's wisdom mm you know, it's that it's a maternal instinct because it, it gives you joy like it and it it makes you happy. It's it's not 
you know, apart from, you know, the long days when maybe you're tired at the end of it, you just want to get them to bed. But as a mother, I know that like, whenever I get the opportunity and just the experience of being a mother, I always say like, it's, it's the greatest love I've ever known. And I've always loved the Buddhist idea, right? That when we're seeking that higher state in ourselves of enlightenment or our highest potential, the attitude that a Buddha has towards all living beings is that of a mother for her child. Mm, you know, and I've yeah. always thought of that, you know, it's mm. so pure and it has that rooted, unshakable understanding that it's not an act of charity. You know, it's not something that you're better than them and you're giving mm-hmm. to them. And so, oh, mm-hmm. you can, you know, put on that badge of being a good person, but it, it comes from the depths of you and that like, you know, Ubuntu, right? Like you are because I am. And I think like that's, yeah, like the pendulum swinging towards that being a greater understanding and moving away from that definition of power or well-being or success that, you know, well, that means I'm able to just do whatever I want with all the power, all the money in the world and be independent, moving out of that definition of success and, and health even. So, so yeah, thank you. you. You clarified for me also that like sense of the feminine. To me, a lot of it is like creating the experiences where people can discover, oh, this is what this feels like. And the, just the other thing that struck me from your story with the battleground and how that was born was your consistency, which is, I think, a very like maternal relationship, right? Rather than a like one and done, you know, oh, let's do this great thing and get all this press. And uh, this is a huge success was like, okay, you just kept showing up, you know, when you brought someone else along with you, you know, just showing that commitment and that understanding that things take time being present to be kind of a midwife to what wants to be born. I feel like that's one of those things that is so often, because it doesn't fit in with our narrative of what power and success are, we don't tell that story enough. And we don't celebrate those people that just keep showing up like those block moms on the porch where all the kids hang out, right? And just being there and the kids knowing that they're there for them changes their lives and changes the neighborhood. And I feel like ultimately it comes down to love <laughs> with the the youth that I encountered in that neighborhood for the battleground. I remember when I first started going there, I don't have kids myself and I've never been a kid person. But when I showed up there, my automatic response to them was, I felt like I was like, I would die for these kids. And it was just such a maternal, like you said, April, it was, and it's just something like kicked in that wasn't rational, (laughs) but it was just this intense love, you know? And so I feel like going back to that little boy who wrote, I love you, mama, you know, on his rocket ship. And then I think it's the other side, too, where like a parent will do anything for their kid, you know, (laughs) you know, in any moment. Right. And so I think it's that you just hit it on the head. If we're all able to tap into that shared sense of parental level of love (laughs) for each other. Thanks for listening. Check the show notes for more info about Yuki, April, and Abundant Community. This episode has been hosted and produced by me, Joey Taylor, and the music is from Jeff Gorman.